All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. So last week we moved into the second phase of the tribulation, which actually comes at the three-and-a-half-year mark, so it's at the midway point. The seal judgments, not that they occur over the entirety of the first three-and-a-half years of the tribulation, but that, that is when they take place at the, the, the front end. And so, so now we are in the second wave of God's judgment, identified as the trumpet judgments. So just like a seal is broken and it unleashes a judgment on the earth, uh, a, a, a trumpet is blown and judgment then is unleashed on the earth. So we, we kicked this off last week, looking at chapter 8, and we've made, made our way through the first four of the trumpets, so verses 7 through 13 of chapter 8. So just as a reminder, uh, we, we have the angel sounding and we have the vegetation being struck. A third of the trees are burned up, green grass is burned up. The second angel, that trumpet is a judgment upon the oceans, and it says it be- became blood, and so it, it becomes, at least portions of it, uninhabitable. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, a third of the ships were destroyed. Then we have fresh waters that are struck, they become bitter, and so men died from that. It doesn't indicate... Um, how many men at this point, it said a third of the waters became wormwood and many men died, but, but we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have a number. Uh, but this, so that's the third judgment. Then the fourth judgment, verses 12 and 13, this identifies more cosmic events. So there's, there's something God does to the sun, something He does to the moon, something He does to the stars, so that a third of the sun uh, is, is reduced in its power. Uh, a third of the moon and a third of the stars also are darkened. Now, you want to keep in mind as, as we talk about these, again, that there are, there are a couple of the judgments where there will be a specific time frame mentioned. The text will say, and this lasts for five months. But most of them don't. They don't have any kind of real time frame to them. I, 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 don't, I don't think we should take this to mean they're happening one day after another. And in fact, I, I would imagine much like what happened in Egypt. It seems to be a pretty, um, pretty good model for us since we definitely see echoes in Egypt of all of these things, right? Uh, this, especially what, what we saw last week, we see this happening in Egypt, and we know that in Egypt, each of the plagues, there, there were months probably in between, at least many of them, uh, and for sure weeks. So this is taking place over a period of time and is then also limited. So it's not like once the angel sounds and there's hail and fire, that then at any given point there could be hail and fire for the next three and a half years. So it's it's limited to this one moment. We don't know how long it lasted, when it lasted, but when we move on to the second trumpet, then the the hail, the fire stops, and we move on to the next one. So just as we keep that in in our minds, um, that this... It is a limited period of time, though we don't exactly know what the timing of things are. So before we jump into chapter 9 and the 5th and 6th trumpets, 
Anybody have any questions or comments left over from last week or just the, the, the rundown we just kind of went through? If we sit here quiet like this long enough, everybody watching online starts turning up the volume. I could start mouthing. We could tease you good folks online. All right? Okay? All right, well, let's move on then to, to chapter 9. So chapter 9 then gives us the, the fifth ch- trumpet. And just to go ahead and point out a, a bit of symmetry here, I say a bit, there's actually quite a bit of symmetry in all of the judgments, which is why you'll have some commentators who don't necessarily distinguish three different waves. That They'll say these are further expansions on what's already been said. Now, as I've said all along, I, I take, I, the reason I take exception of that is not because I would um, denigrate the men who I highly admire who would see things differently than me. It, the text just doesn't read naturally to me that way. And that's, that's after, I've taught this more than once. I've read through this book many times and uh, taught on this subject. It, few subjects are more uh, requested of pastors. Uh, in fact, my first pastorate, a month after being pastor, keep in mind, I, I was 24 years old, single, and had never had a consistent full-time job, all right? I'd been a student. I'd had full-time jobs, but like summer full-time jobs. Otherwise, I'd been a part-time minister of youth and children. And the first thing they asked me, can you do a series in Revelation? And my first thought was, that is an unwise thing to ask me to do. I am just a child here, and uh, you've already made me pastor, which seemed really unwise. Um, and, but they did, and they're, they're sweet church, and but one or two of them may actually be watching. So, um, so uh, I was grateful for it. But, so th- this really gets, uh, gets asked. And so every time I study, when I read through the book of Revelation, it, it, it just feels largely, not entirely, but largely chronological. It seems to go from, then this thing happened, then this thing, then this thing, then this thing. John, John's favorite phrase is, and then I saw. It's the most, most used phrase in the entire book. I don't know how many times it shows up, but it shows up again and again. And then I saw. Now, I do want to point out, though, there are times John is given visions of things that have already occurred. That, that actually comes up, I believe, in like chapters 11 and 12, and we'll, we'll address those as we get there. But again, I, I, I see this as being largely chronological, so I don't think this is all the same judgments repeated three different times. I think these are three different waves of judgment getting consecutively more intense. But there is symmetry. What we see in the sealed judgments, we see expanded on in the trumpet judgments. We, we, we see it influences on vegetation. We see influences on, um, on the, the earth itself. So, so we, we saw some of those with the, with the seal judgments. We also see this distinction. Some of the judgments are what I would label natural occurrences, and what I mean by that is not that it's not God supernaturally doing it, it's God 
intervening or interfering with the natural world. And, and so we, we see um, grass and trees being struck. We see the oceans being struck. And it's being struck by things like meteors or asteroids or there's volcanic eruptions or there's earthquakes. That's what I mean when I say natural phenomenon, things of nature that God uses to cause these things. But then there are times, I believe, God uses other instruments, including demons. And, and this, this can make people uncomfortable that this would be the case. But it's not unlike what God does in the Old Testament. God used the Assyrians. He used the Babylonians. Um, at various times used other foreign powers in very specific and located ways against Israel. We were, we're talking radically pagan people. Not God-loving people, radically pagan people that God used as instruments of judgment. And what we find in Revelation is God does the same thing with demonic forces. He uses them as a means to His end. Now, they will be punished for their rebellion. Nevertheless, that we should understand they, they, are, they are going to be used of God. So I bring that up because that, that prefaces what's going on here in chapter 9. We move away from these natural elements, asteroids, um, er earthquakes or volcanoes, or whatever the case may be, poisoning water, destroying vegetation. There's now going to be God using demonic forces. So, Let's take a look then at the fifth trumpet, and the fifth trumpet is a judgment uh, that both these are going to be specific judgments on, uh, on humanity, but you'll see there, um, you know, on your notes that there's, there's this direct action against humans in the fifth trumpet, and then there's going to be warfare in the sixth. All right, so chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, we're going to walk our way through this fifth trumpet. And don't hesitate, by the way, if along the way, if you've got a question, if I don't pause to see if you have a question, you raise a hand. If I don't want to answer it, I will just ignore you, all right? So don't, don't feel bad. I just, I just won't acknowledge till I'm ready. Dick, how can I help you, brother? Some I will. He was just testing. No, just kidding. Go ahead. So the, the, so it's a good question. He's asking about the sounding of the trumpets. To me, the, how it reads is heaven hears the sounding of the trumpets. That's what it, sound, that's what it seems to me. Now, I, I would not uh, you know, be hard and fast on this, but that's, that's what it sounds like since uh, John is, is talking about uh, he's given the vision of these things, and he's seeing angels to be sure the world, everybody on the earth, is what we'll see here in a minute. These angels that are being used or these demons, um, they're not visible until they come out and do their, their work. 
So I, I think whenever these trumpets are sounded, it is a sound heard in heaven. Though there are a couple of instances where there's rumblings and thunderings and things on the earth, and that's certainly a response to God's declaration. Um, you know, I, I think most people would say the word here, the, the, the idea of the trumpet here, probably has nothing to do with the Greek word for trumpet and probably has connotations with the shofar. So it would be more Hebrew, though the word here is Greek. But my guess is what they would have in mind, what John would have in mind as he's writing and trying to describe, it would be shofar-like. So the, the ram's horn, if you've seen that ram's horn that's kind of um, spiraled, that, that would be it. And, and I, I, I would imagine it's of substance. It's, no, it's not a baby ram horn, all right? You know, so I don't know exactly what it's made of, but it would be, it would be, it would be sizable. So it's a good question. All right, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit. Smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke... Locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given authority to kill, to kill them, but to torment them for five months." Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So let's stop there for a minute, kind of unpack some of these images. So when John sees a star fallen from heaven to earth, this is almost certainly a reference to a fallen angel at the very least. Some have suggested it could be who? Satan himself. Now, I don't know. It doesn't really matter interpretively speaking, you know, who it is, other than the fact it is, it is a, would be a fallen angel. So it is a rightly identified demonically and or satanically. So we have a fallen angel, but the angel, this, this fallen angel is given a key to what's called the bottomless pit. Some of you may have translations that use the word abyss. Is that used? Anybody have abyss in their translation? All right. So some translations will use that word. Some will use bottomless pit. We've probably heard of the abyss before. The most famous, uh, other than here, usage of the term, in fact, it may be one of the only other ones. There's just a handful. You, you recall when, when Jesus cast the demons out of the man, the legion of demons, and they beg him to do what? Send us into the pigs so that we don't get sent to the pit, to the abyss. So what it, what it appears, there, there is this God-created, I would say, meaning a, um, a location under the sovereign authority of God where a certain number of fallen angels are held. Now, there's assumptions we can make because of that. And this is usually what is, how this is described, that 
those residing in the abyss are the worst of the worst offenders of the fallen angels. Demons of such rebellion that God then immediately upon their rebellion in heaven, God judged them by chaining them up, jailing them up, putting them in the pit. I mean, the language definitely sounds like a jail, right, of some sort, uh, because there's a key to it. And, and we understand this language is somewhat symbolic, right? I, I don't know that God actually literally fashioned big giant doors and then made a big giant key. Uh, in, in, instead, it is a way of saying that this fallen angel was given the power to release these beings from their imprisonment. Again, we don't know much about their identity uh, beyond what comes out and what they do. All right, So it is presumed that these are the, the worst of the worst, that this pit is a place reserved for the, 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 the vilest of the rebel angels, and this is God's judgment upon them. But again, they will be released, and so this is, this is the fifth trumpet. And so he opens it, and it tells us that smoke rises up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air are darkened because of it. By the way, this is the language that leads people to describe heaven as being above us and hell being below us, right? Because there's the heaven, angel falls, and there's a pit, and they rise up out. However, I, I do not believe that demons are literally residing in the center of the earth. This is a supernatural location that then is manifested in the natural world. Where they are, like where this location actually is in the larger created order of God's things, I don't have any idea. I would not presume to know. I do know this is a real place. There are real demons being held there, and they are going to be released. And when they are released, the earth sees it. So, is there a big giant split in the fabric of, of, of the air? You know, I, I like sci-fi. All right, so this, uh, you know, kind of scratches an itch, as they say. So that's what I think in my mind, right? This big giant tear in the fabric of the cosmos and smoke comes billowing out. I don't have any idea what it looked like, but I do know the text is very clear here. This darkens the sun, so there, there is a manifestation in the real world when this supernatural location is opened. All right? So these, these beings then come out. Verse 3 describes them. Out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth. I think John is describing them in a way that best fits what he knows. I don't think these are literally locusts. I think these are demons. I think they look like locusts. In fact, I think they look like really big locusts. We'll get to that description, because we'll get to the description of them in just a minute. You might say, well, Pastor, that's just what it says. It says locusts, but we'll get to the description of them uh, in just a moment. But, but again, John is drawing off a very common image, especially in the Middle East. What we hear in Newburn. Not, not a whole lot of 
plague of locusts going on, right? Um, we actually talked about this uh, when we worked our way through, the, through Joel, right? The minor prophet. Uh, this is not an uncommon thing in the Middle East, Africa. Even very recently, these, these things uh, happened. There, there was one ongoing not that long ago. I think maybe just within the last couple of years, there was a massive swarm of lo- plague of locusts. I think it was in Africa. So this is not an uncommon image. They, they would have immediately identified with this. Um, and, and so the image of locust is a way of describing something they cannot contain, humans, and something of almost innumerable amounts. So, so that, that's why this image, I think, is the, the image being used um, to describe them, again, as locust. And then you'll note they, they are given the power as like scorpions. So I, I, I don't know any other way to describe this. This is really weird and disturbing. This is a weird and disturbing image. It's not the only weird and disturbing image, right, in Revelation, but it is one of them, that, that they, they then have this ability to sting, to inflict torment and pain on humanity, which, by the way, is not a normal capability of a normal locust. They're, they're, not, they're not known for stinging, right? They're known for eating everything. They're not known for stinging. So this already tells us this is something that is unique. And then you'll notice the language of verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And that goes back to chapter 7 and the sealing of God's people. We talked about that chapter already. So they they are let loose to inflict torment, but they are limited. One... Again, being, being locust-like, they are commanded not to touch any of the green stuff. Now, for some of you analytical types, all right, if you're already thinking, but pastor, verse 7 said, a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. So, what happened? Grass grew back. Why not? There's nothing in the text that says it didn't. How long is it in between verses 7 and verse 4? It could be a long time. How often do you have to cut your grass? All right? So so grass can grow back, all right? Um, How about weeds? You know, so these things can grow. So I think what's being described here is is this restriction upon their power. It's going to be specifically focused not only on humanity, but on unbelieving humanity, right? So green things are forbidden. They can't touch the green things. Can't go over the trees. Can't Whatever grass has come back, can't go after the grass. That's restricted, which I think is just a sign of God's grace, right? This is God's grace being bestowed upon His people who are alive during the tribulation. Those who are sealed... They cannot touch. But it does, it is going to say for five months, verse 5, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them. Torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So, so they, they, can't, they can't kill them, but they can inflict pain. 
This, this again, this is a judgment of God on unbelieving humanity. Now, I do want to point this out because I think it's a significant part of the text. Who's in charge? God's in charge. He gives the key to the pit to a fallen angel. He commands them what they can't touch and who they can't touch and how much they can touch. Right? God is in full command. It is another example of the sovereignty of God on display over these things. It might seem troubling, but understand, though God is using this demonic horde from the pit, the judgment that comes is God's judgment. It's not like he's let them loose and he can put his hands up and say, uh, well, I mean, they're, they're demons. <laughs> not my fault. No, God's restricting their actions, which indicates that the, that the ultimate cause of this is the judgment of God, not the power of demons. So we see God exercising this, this sovereignty to judge the earth. But again, it's limited. This is, this is I think, one of one of the first times we have seen a specific time frame. So this is going to happen for five months. Now you might say, okay, well, how serious, how serious is that? Well, verse 6 tells you. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. I, I take this to mean they will be incapable of dying even if they try. So this, this would be the classic example of there are worse things than death. I mean, in an earthly sense. In an internal sense, there's not. But in an earthly sense, yes, that is absolutely true. And so for five months, they are able to inflict this kind of physical pain. So we see it's not just physical pain, right? There's mental pain. This, this is not just physical anguish. And you know, if you just kind of want to put yourself in that mindset, I mean, how, how many of you have had some kind of surgery or body failure? Nobody here, you all are too young and spry. But there are other churches that have like old people in it um, who I'm sure have people who experience problems with their physical bodies. I mean, have you, have you had a circumstance, even for a brief period of time, where there was inescapable pain? Not even the best of doctor-prescribed drugs could do anything about it. It's torment, isn't it? And that is a type of anguish. And that's what he's saying will happen here. This is, this is God's judgment, again, upon humanity. Now, we're not done because he's going to keep describing this, but up to verse 6, up to this point. Questions? <clears throat> so, if the locust, if God's in control, I'll let you go on. Great. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. No, I, I respect that. Good. All right. Um, it puts a lot of confidence that maybe I might explain it uh, between now and then, but we'll see. Good. Yeah, just hold on to it. Okay. All right. 
Oh, okay. All right, great. So let's, let's move on then to verse, uh, verse 7. Because again, he's not done. Now he's going to give us a little bit more of a description of, of these creatures. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. So just when you thought you could, couldn't get any weirder, it did, right? It got weirder. So this, is, this again, to me, I, which by the way, I, I don't know exactly what all that means. And I hope you're okay with your pastor telling you that, meaning I don't know there's a direct, clear, obvious way of saying, well, here's what it means when it says um, that, that on their heads were crowns of something like gold. What does that mean? That means when John looked at these creatures, on their heads looked like a crown that looked like gold. I don't know anything else to say. Now, there are those who will then take that further because we recognize the symbolism in Revelation often bears meaning with it. So I think this is John's way of identifying these are beings of power and authority. Not like God, but these these are not mindless bugs. Because then that next phrase, when it says that, that they had the face, uh, their faces were like faces of men. Most, most interpreters will take that phrase to mean that's a way of identifying them as having intelligence. Again, when John looks at them, these aren't just bugs. The, the, these are intelligent beings of some kind that the only earthly category John has for them is locust. But again, I'm inclined to think that the reference to locust is far more about their number than their actual literal appearance. And, and again, saying, in fact, he even says they're shaped like horses. <laughs> so so this, this is something very different. Say they had, they had hair, so something's coming off their head um, that they have teeth. So we are talking about a, f- a fairly terrifying uh, portrait here. Then it goes on to say, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. So again, it is a really strange depiction, but it does show something terrifying and otherworldly. And really, you know, I I think if if you think about the way the Bible in its limited sense, describes angels. And I don't mean like the angels that have the six wings that surround the throne. I I mean like the angels like Gabriel and Michael. And they don't really describe them other than saying like at the resurrection that they they were men in white, (laughs) shining, right? So, So when you think of the portrait of an angel, not like modern concepts of them, but we think of them in this kind of holy uh, expression, you know, they're, they're coming from the presence of God, so we think of them as, as light, right? We think, we think of them in terms of purity. When you read this description, this absolutely sounds like a creation of God that has been warped and mangled and butchered, in essence, by its own rebellion and sin, right? This, this sounds like a warped angel, 
sounds like a fallen angel to me. This does sound like a demon. That you, you have this bizarre depiction. I mean, they still have wings, but, but then, then they have this ferocity about them. But they do have this power about them. Then they also have this ability to torment. So again, I would resist the temptation to read this, like to go home and sit down and sketch this guy out, all right? You can find some of that, by the way. Med- medieval artists loved depicting Revelation literally, and it is some of the weirdest art in the history of Western art, all right? So you might be able to find these, these creatures uh, depicted like that very literally, but I, I don't think that's in, its intent. This is, again, John giving us human language, really what can't be expressed in human language. Instead, I think it is describing this being that had been created by God, but whose very nature and condition was warped by its fall. It's been imprisoned since the beginning of time and now is unleashed. So we can only imagine then what was the degradation of their form and nature over the last intervening thousands of years and however long till this time happens. So, so they're, they're unleashed, and this, this, is their, this is their depiction. This is what they can do for five months. So verse 11, And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. This just means like destroyer, destruction, he who destroys, that's what the word means. Again, you know, some will, will identify, you know, the king over them as Satan. Some identified this one as Satan. The first one, some have identified as Satan. Some have identified this one. I, I would be inclined, by the way, to not identify either one of them with Satan. Satan tends to be identified fairly clearly, even in the book of Revelation. He, he is fairly identifiable. Almost as if as soon as John, whenever in a vision John sees Satan, he seems to know who that is. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us. So, uh, you know, we, we, we know we know when Satan is around. It tends to always reveal him. This is giving us other names and other descriptions. Interpretive-wise, it doesn't change anything, but still, um, they do have some kind of leader, right? They have a king. They have one who is over them. They have one who is leading them in this. Um, we don't know who this is. My, my inclination would be this king is something like, is the demonic equivalent of like a Michael or a Gabriel. That's how I would reckon him. And so then it says, verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Which is a fairly intimidating statement if, if you're alive during this period of time. One woe is past, but there's still two more. All right, so this is the fifth trumpet. Demonic horde unleashed on humanity to inflict pain for five months. So, Dick, question? If if God's still in control, their king, their champion is this demonic or fallen angel. And knowing that Satan understands this is the end of time, is God working through them, or is just God controlling everything? I, I, you know, I get a little, I don't quite understand if, if the uh, locusts are under control of the champions. 
Well, so, I, you know, I, I, would, um, I would liken it to the fact that I, I would do it similarly to, say, God using the king of the Assyrians or the king of the Babylonians to invade Israel. God is sovereign over that, and God moves in the heart of the king to lead his army into battle. But I don't think the army has any concept of the overriding sovereignty of God upon them. The text doesn't say necessarily, but my, my inclination would be that, that, yes, Satan is aware that we've got a final battle here, um, but, but for all of Satan's wisdom, right? And when I say wisdom, I don't mean like biblical wisdom, but I mean his intelligence, his ability uh, to manipulate, to tempt, um, in, 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 spite, in spite of all of that, he is, he is radically ignorant and foolish. And, and I am confident Satan has... Satan is doing this out of the hatred of his own heart, using that word figuratively. Um, he knows this is a final battle, and these things, he knows Scripture, he knows these things are in Scripture, but does, you know, is he a cornered animal knowing he's about to die? In my mind, I can see one of such pride and arrogance assuming, no, maybe I can make, turn this thing out different. So, I, you know, I, I, I would contend this king uh, probably doesn't have... I, I don't know that God speaks to the king, whatever this king is, and says, go. But, but I, I, yeah, I, I think in, in God's sovereignty. So what happens at the end of the five months? I don't really know. I, I would assume, though, five months, God shoves them all back in the pit, clears the earth of them, and they'll await their final judgment. They'll be joined by, um, by Satan and other fallen angels eventually. So I think that's probably what will happen. So, so in other words, maybe to answer the question, I, I don't know that these beings are, are intentionally of their, you know, that, that they know, oh, God's making me do this. I don't really want to do this, but God's making me do this. Or God seems to be involved here. I, I, I think this, this, um, this is of their doing. In their minds, this is them, but God in His sovereignty has limited them, has commanded, has stated, here's what can and cannot be done. Uh, so He's still sovereign over this, yet at the same time, I mean, I think they're engaging how they see fit. Does that kind of answer the question a little bit? All right. Kathy. So the question is, is there any connection between like what, what, is, what, what is called climate change, um, which is a funny change of term, don't hear global warming anymore, you do hear climate change. Anyway, that's a whole other thing and it's not in the book of Revelation necessarily. But the question is, is, is climate change um, the judgment of God? I, from what we have read thus far, there will be a change in the climate that is caused by God. Yes. No. Well, no. I mean, I don't. I don't think they would think of it that way. Um, I think when the time comes and there are 
these things. You know, when the, when the bottomless pit is opened and a third of the sun is darkened because of the smoke coming out of this pit, un- unbelievers are going to explain it away. Uh, we'll see, we won't get to it tonight, but, but next week when we get then to the sixth trumpet, it's the mo- to me it's perhaps the most devastating part of it all. We get to the end of all of this. And John's going to say, and yet they did not repent. Everybody? None of them are going to repent. None of these that are being judged, maybe later. But it's going to be very clear that I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be definite on that, but the way the text is going to read is that those who are under the torment are, are not going to repent. They're not going to believe. In fact, they're going to go on and engage in idolatry. So the, this, this uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's the case, that, that, that those, uh, those who are unbelievers would explain all these things away. Now, I, I should add, you know, what, what, whatever uh, climate change there may be, I mean, we recognize that the earth goes, has, has always gone through these stages, right, of, of, change, of climate change. I, I will tell you, so, uh, and I'm not making a political statement here one way or the other, so let's say that the oceans do rise an inch or two or whatever over the next 20 years. That's not God's judgment. I don't think. Not revelation anyway. I think God's judgment is such, the revelation judgment is such that it is undeniable. Uh, The oceans will rise 20 feet in two seconds when God does it. Uh, You want to talk about global cooling? God turns off a third of the sun's power. All right, at that point, it's like, what is this? <laughs> you know, so this, this is not carbon emissions at this point, right? I mean, God does it so that it's obvious. Now, they will try and explain it away. But, but the, the, so the little bits that we see, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would um, identify that way. But I, I do think you could use that as a way to say some of these smaller things, as Jesus said, are evidences of what he called birth pangs, right? Of contractions. Baby's not here yet. Um. We, and we, we're still probably nine months away, all right? Um, it's, not, it's not happening. But there may be little evidences here. It's morning sickness over here, right? There, there's a little bit over here there that, that shows these little bits are, are, are foreshadowing signs of a greater judgment to come. So, Jerry. I, I don't see any reason why not. I don't see any, because they're, they're sealed. I, I don't know why else they would be sealed if, if they were not also to be functioning in an evangelistic way. So, um, yeah, I would, I would think they would be proclaiming the truth. And, and it's, you know, it seems to me that there would at least be somebody out there that would say, why is this thing stinging me and not him or her? Because we're both right here together. All right, so why, why did he pass over that person and that person, but then go after this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, but then not that one, but then this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, but not that one? I think it, you'd think at some point somebody would say, what? what's going on here? They'd track it out, right? Do an Excel spreadsheet, something, try and figure out, so what's going on here? And they'd find a common denominator. 
Uh, but, but again, we will see, you know, sin, sin, part of the deal with the judgment of Revelation is it's, it's, not, it's not just the unleashing of God's judgment. It is, the, it is the removal to large degree of any restraint on humanity that exists now because of our presence and the, and the presence of the Spirit. Now, there will be believers in the end times, but, but the sin of humanity will, will be unleashed. The depravity of man will, will have no restraint upon it. I, I would contend there is common grace operating on the planet right now that at least provides some element of restraint. It's one of those things where where it's hard for us to imagine because we think sin seems so bad. It will get much worse. And men will see these things and dive right back into their depravity. Men will even call it, this is the wrath of the Lamb. They'll shake their fist in anger at God. And they'll go right on worshiping idols and indulging in immorality. I mean, it's so, so sin is unleashed. Sin is, sin is unrestrained during this period, period of time. So, all right. So, um, cheerful way to enter into the rest of the week, all right? Uh, and, um, you know, we can, we can always conclude with the, with the good news. Um, Believers in Christ and what we celebrated this morning with the Lord's Supper, uh, God's wrath against sin has been satisfied on our behalf. Fully and completely, sufficiently done. I will not face the wrath of God. I might face His discipline, but I will not face His wrath. That has been satisfied in Jesus, never to be visited upon me. That's good news. So as we enter into the week, we can go knowing we are children of the King. He is good to us, and He will see us through, regardless of what we may be facing. All right, let's pray together. Father God, thank You again for the gathering of Your people. Blessed to be with brothers and sisters in Christ on this Lord's Day. Grateful for, the, for Your Word, though we confess at times we, we are intimidated by it and grieved by what we know will come. Uh, nonetheless, we trust You, and we trust Your sovereign will. We trust Your greater plan. And so, Father, we ask that as we enter into the rest of this week, that, that we do so in faith and trusting you and that you would lead and guide us, uh, that we might live in ways that are pleasing to you, that are consistent with the gospel. May we walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling by which we have been called, that you would then use us as a means to your end and for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.